Hello, and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy Soltero. What's up, guys? He's finally back mm. after a venture out into the motherland. Soltero, you were gone for a while, bro. You had yeah. me carrying the fucking team for a minute there, man. Yeah. I'm happy to have you back. How was your trip? It was really nice, man. I spent like 10, 11 days in Mexico. I went to Monterrey, Guadalajara. Literally the home bases of Tigres and Chivas to kind of just catch the vibes of the people down there as the finals were going on live. Were you able to go to the games? Fortunately, dude, I tried as best as I could to get tickets. But, bro, it's genuinely difficult to get Liga MX finals tickets unless you're like a Mexican citizen, essentially, because they only do, um, how, how you say, season ticket sales. So... They only sell all the tickets to anybody who has a season ticket holder. Right. So you got to buy it from a season ticket holder who's willing to sell their ticket. Exactly. And there's no official resale. So it's not like you buy the tickets on Ticketmaster and, oh, if there's any tickets left, then the yeah. resale will be on Ticketmaster. It's not like that. It's there's the official sale for season ticket holders and they get as many tickets as they want. And then from there, if you want a ticket, you got to know somebody. Or you have to trust like third-party sites like StubHub. And that can also get tricky though because the stadiums themselves, they accept both printed tickets and digital tickets. So someone could sell you a ticket, but they could then print the, print the ticket themselves and have the exact same copy and both would work. Damn. But, only, but as soon as one entry's in, then any other entries of that same ticket would be denied. Bro, what's up? What's going on then, bro? Because <laughs> you went to Costa Rica the other day yeah, and you couldn't get a ticket to the final there too, man. Well, no, what's fun In Costa Rica, I actually did get tickets, but the seating was terrible in one of them. And then in the other opportunity, I had a ticket, but it, it was a duplicate. So uh, okay. they oversold because of scams and people just <laughs> literally copying yeah. tickets and then selling them. So yeah, I was just like, oh, this is Costa Rica all over again, but just in a different way because it's just a lot harder to get tickets. But you know what's crazy though? I was expecting the tickets to be like two, three hundred dollars, right? Okay, it, I would I would say that's lower than I thought. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's the thing. Maybe I was just kind of like out of my head on it, but for some weird reason, I was expecting three hundred dollars to be like the average, no more than four. But I don't know why I thought that because you're absolutely right. For both tickets, like third-party sources, they were going for $1,000. Oh, my God. 1000 bro. Holy shit. Yeah, and I was talking to like just like some random Europeans that I ended up like just meeting along the, my trip in Mexico. And they're like, dude, yeah, even Champions League semifinals resale don't even go for that much yeah. sometimes. So I was like, holy shit. It makes sense, though. It's a final. Yeah. And it's like two of one of the... It's two of the biggest clubs in Mexico, Chivas against Tigres, man. And you have some really big names just both on and off the pitch going at each other. So I completely get it. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. So like if I wanted to buy off of a guy, I would have to risk $1,000 and it still might have not worked. So I was like, ah, shit, I don't know if that's worth the risk. I just don't know. Realistically... I could maybe trust StubHub, but even then I'm just like, ah, should I? Or I just literally know somebody who has a season ticket. That way I know that I won't get scammed. 
That's like the only way yeah. I think I could really assure myself yeah. of like getting a for sure spot in a Liga MX final. Or I go when Puebla is in the final because yeah. we know they're not going to fill out their stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I want to quickly give an update. The reason I'm dressed like I just got out of rehab is because emotionally I did. This whole week, I've been doing a lot better, bro. Yeah, that's good. I've been doing a lot better, man. And I hope hope you can tell. You know, I'm more clean shaven. I look a little clean. My skin's glowing a little bit more. Because I'm doing way better than last week. Last week was insanely rough for me. The comments I got, the DMs I got were were ludicrous, bro. They were Mm. all over my ass just fucking hounding me for the loss. And then, of course, I got your message from Mexico. And I put that on display for the people as well. That's awesome. Real quickly. Just what's your takeaway from the scene, from the energy that you gathered in Guadalajara Dude. as you were there to experience the one of the biggest choke jobs that Liga MX has ever seen? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I man, I'm over that. it, bro. I'm over it, bro. <laughs> now it's just words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a whole take, and I, I was hoping we could leave the take that I have for like the end of the podcast because it's more like chatty vibes rather than like analysis. It's just pure emotion. You know, I get really spiritual about it. And I got, I, I got emotional in Mexico when I was just, th- I, had, I had like a beer. I got really drunk one night Fuck. and I was just like thinking about Liga MX. Yeah. And so, yeah, I kind of want to say that for the end of the podcast when, you know, when we're a little bit more buzzed yes. maybe as well. Yeah. And yeah. so let's, let's save it for the let's end. Let's save it for the end. Because I think this is going to be a jam packed episode. Yeah, we is. have so many things that we just, we just have to acknowledge at the very least. Yeah. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is still on that note of a final being played, of a championship being played for. I see you wearing the Leon jersey, so I have to mention it first. Absolutely. Leon are CONCACAF champions after an incredible victory over LAFC in the final, Dude. defeating them 3-1 on aggregate. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Incredible, bro. Truly, truly. And I know maybe my energy isn't high right now. Honestly, I'm still fucking exhausted from the trip. So my energy levels are going to be very low in this podcast. Apologies to all the viewers. But, dude, I am so fucking happy for Leon, for the people in Guanajuato, and for the club themselves, for the family that's in charge of that club, and all the directors, the sporting directors, the manager, Larcamon, the players themselves. I am so happy because... They set out a job and they got it done, but it was easy too at the end of the day, but more so on that in a bit. Bigger picture here, I've been hoping, praying, dreaming for Leon to be continental champions, I'd say for the last 15 years, man, truly. And I knew, I knew there was always a chance because I knew Leon would you know, win a couple of titles over the next 10 years and we would have CONCACAF Champions League opportunities I think one year we got knocked out by LAFC. Another year we didn't even really make it that far. And we've always had lackluster CONCACAF Champions League campaigns. But this year, once we got to the semifinal against Tigres, I was like, okay, we have a genuine chance to get this title. And low-key, I mean, if you... uh, And low-key, going into this final against LAFC, I actually was scared. My prediction was LA was actually going to win it because I truly thought that they were the better team. And Leon were just a little too inconsistent, in my opinion. Losing to Atletico San Luis in the repechaje just wasn't a good way for me to enter a final. But my God, man, did our boys play pretty much perfectly over both legs and especially in that first leg against uh, especially in that first leg in Guanajuato but dude I can't believe we pulled it off like I actually can't believe it once that final whistle blew I was like wow I've been dreaming of this and now we're going to be in the club world cup yeah 
and probably, hopefully, yeah. dude. Don't get carried away. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna say win it, but dude, if we could play Manchester City, ooh, that'd be incredible, man. Ooh, that'd be like a drug. Yeah, just that opportunity to see the lineups: Angel Mena, El Platano Alvarado, <laughs> Platano, Lucas Duyorio. You know, just <laughs> Lucas Romero. Yeah. All these guys, Larcamon on uh, Larcamon on one end, and then Pep on the other. It'd be just a crazy contrast, and that's the thing. That's why I'm so happy and proud because Leon have now joined the likes of America, Chivas, Cruz Azul, Monterrey, the great Monterrey who won, what, four titles in a row? We've now joined those other Liga MX greats as continental champions. Little Leon of Guanajuato. Yeah. We are the same now. And I knew it could have been done because, man, dude, we've had so many good teams over the last 10, 12 years. So many good teams that have deserved to be continental champions. And now we finally did it. And now to talk about the game, man, I cannot believe how easy it was. One of the easiest ties, two-legged affairs, that I've ever had the pleasure of enjoying from a Leon perspective. Damn. No stress. No stress. The, my, the only stress, bro, was before each game. <laughs> but after, after the 10th yep. minute in both games, I was like, ah, oh, let me grab a glass of whiskey. Yes, this is going to be yes, easy. Yes, sir. Because, dude, what a dominant performance. That first half of the, in the first game, dude, one of the most dominant Leon performances in like a playoff setting that I have ever witnessed. And I think it's more so on LA for just being absolute shit. Truly. They, they were not ready for this type of atmosphere. They weren't ready for a team like Leon. And honestly, I think stylistically, they weren't ready for a ball-oriented passing type of side. I think low-key, they were just too used to a lot of MLS sides, which nowadays it's very direct. It's just get it out wide or get it to your top striker, and we're just going to try and play one-on-one here. We're trying to get big in the box. But Leon literally are the exact opposite of that. It's let's play triangular football, and let's pass it through you. And that is exactly what we did. We found every single gap that was open. Yes, but the irony of them being defeated in that way after a guy like Tillman came out in the media and said that Mexican teams, in his opinion, weren't very technical. And yet, they got dismantled in probably one of the most technical ways we've seen because talent-wise, LAFC had the edge all day. But when it came to just that fluidity, that chemistry that a team can mold between themselves, Leon ran circles around them, bro. Fucking Mexican tiki-taka at some point, yeah. dude. It was beautiful to see. And I think that's, I think Tillman specifically got exposed for that take, for that quote, and it isn't looking good right now after what he said to the media and kind of criticizing Mexican football in that way with Leon essentially defeating them using that same fucking approach. Dude, that's hilarious. I didn't know he said that. Oh, shit. Bro, oh, my God, bro. <laughs> yeah. We legitimately did to him what we thought we couldn't do. What he thought he couldn't do. <laughs> yes, dude. That's crazy. Yes. He fucked up. He fucked up. He fucked up. He might have got, carried away. He got carried away. He was feeling himself. Oh, my God. LAFC's been looking good this season. He probably was just feeling himself real well, man. Yeah, and the thing is, that was the stylistic difference between these two sizes. When you looked at how both of them played, obviously, I just said, Leon are more ball-oriented than anything else. But... LAFC legitimately had no midfield presence. None. It was just their back line trying to get it to Buanga, 
Vela or Bogus or Oboku, and that was it, dude. Ilya Sanchez, Tillman himself, any other midfielder was just kind of there to defend. And when they did get on the ball, it was like the, one of the most predictable yeah. passes they could make. There was zero invention, zero creativity from LAFC's midfield. It was honestly pathetic, bro. Like, like I, but what I, happened? I, why, why is that, dude? Yeah, They've dude. been playing great up to this point. I, what happened? Yeah, I, I really do think it's just they were not ready for a side like Leon. I, I, and as simple as that sounds, it's really the only explanation that I have because LAFC, really, when you look at them, they do have good midfielders, but I think only for predictable sides in the MLS. Where they're really good at is in Vela and Buanga. But if you can nullify those guys, then what I just realized, especially in this tie, LFC really don't have much else. They're very one-dimensional. And I do think it works in the MLS. But again, when you play against a completely different style and a team like Leon, and I think you could see that against other Liga MX teams too, then I think LFC are going to struggle. But I think just more so, Leon were very prepared for this game. Like, very, very prepared. We didn't let up. We didn't look nervous. And in that first game, LAFC, you could tell that they were frustrated with all the fouls that were happening, but Leon didn't care. LFC could have done the same thing to them. Leon would have just brushed it off and be like, all right, we got a game. But LFC looked kind of pissed off by all the contact, by everything that was happening. And I think they got to into their own heads, to be completely honest. And all of that culminated into LFC just getting fucked. Absolutely fucked. I just, I think... The takeaway here, though, is much more broad because last year we saw a complete dismantling of Pumas getting defeated 3-0 against Seattle Sounders who were fucking artists on the pitch when facing off against those Pumas players. Defeating them in such a beautiful, masterful way and scoring some beautiful goals in the process. But it was after that game that I was thinking, okay, MLS is looking really fucking solid. MLS is looking really good, man. But a part of me also was just kind of laying in the back like, what if we're getting carried away with the result that was already predictable before the game even fucking started? Bumas was not in a good place last season. They were not the team to be representing Liga Mekis in that game, yet they ended up in that position. And Seattle Sounders wasn't the best MLS either, but they had more to give than Bumas. Yeah. So I kind of spent the offseason of the CONCACAF Champions League just kind of thinking that MLS... It's making a big stride here. This is a big move. Their first CONCACAF Champions League trophy in their history. This is big for them. But then you get a result like this, bro. A result like this where I thought that LAFC was the clear favorite going into this match. And where I thought Leon was lucky to even be here, bro. I thought they got here off of some pretty lucky ties. Facing off against Violet FC at one point, And then defeating a Tigres team who... To this day, <laughs> yeah. I still don't fucking understand how they fucking managed to win a championship. But to this day, yeah. got defeated in that semifinal matchup. Leon makes it, and I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it in them going into that final. But like you said, from the moment that ball got kicked off, from the moment it got rolling, it was clear that Leon was a team to defeat in this situation. It was clear that Leon was the team to beat, and. It was theirs for the whole fucking 180 minutes. Yeah. LAFC did not show up. And now I'm truly questioning the state of MLS and what I had thought and what I had once thought a year ago. This might have been a big indication of where the gap still truly is between the MLS and Liga Mekis, where I thought it was pretty close and they were edging each other out. If a team like Leon can beat the best of what MLS has to offer, I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good take, and it's something that I had after the game, too. I was like, dude, LAFC were horrible. 
They couldn't adapt. And as I said before, they were so one-dimensional. I was actually kind of pissed off at how easy it was. Damn. Because I was hoping for like a really good final at the very same, least. Same, dude, same. But dude, like as I started this, it was so easy. In those first 45 minutes, dude, it was legitimately men against boys. It looked like an <laughs> all-star game. And Leon was the all-stars. I guess like a high school team, man. Yeah. Elias Hernandez was running circles around these LFC defenders. Honestly... Leon could have scored like four goals in that first in that first leg if they were just more clinical. That's my criticism of Leon, and that was that was my criticism against Atlético San Luis. Is that I still think that we can improve offensively. Our fluidity and our chemistry, and even our defense, is very very good. But I still think we can improve offensively. But it just didn't matter against a really weak and just unprepared LAFC side. But to get back to that overall broad scope take that you have i do think that this is just down to style i think if leon played a much more physically ready bigger team that we do see in the mls i do think it would have actually been tighter so you think like if philadelphia had made it right you think the wrong mls finalists got there then specifically because they ended up playing Leon. Okay. Yeah, and, okay. and, and, and I can, I can and, see that. And it still agrees with your point though in the sense that the gap isn't that that close because I just don't think MLS sides are very adaptable. I really I mean we saw Austin FC against what was it Vancouver and how one dimensional was that game, bro? <laughs> yeah, bro? Austin FC had one plan and it was just get the ball over the top. Yeah. And Vancouver had one plan, that was get it to like their striker. And that, that was it, man. But I think that's just the idea in MLS. A coach comes up with one idea, one way to play, and they're just like, all right, let's do it. And I think LAFC have that. When you watch them play in the MLS, it is get Buanga on an ISO. It's get Vela in a creative space. But that is it. There is no creative midfield for LAFC. And it just got incredibly exposed against a very talented midfield in Leon. But as you said, I think if Philadelphia had gone to this final, I think they would have had a better plan because they have way more physical midfielders. For example, like the Venezuelan midfielder that they have, but they also have bigger strikers and a more fluid mid-creative midfielder in Gazdag. So I think Philadelphia would have been more equipped to beat a team like Leon, whereas Leon were more equipped to beat a team like LAFC. Damn. Yeah, like uh, what, if Leon, what if LAFC had faced off against like Tigres then? Maybe that would have been a crazy, more, more different outcome in that situation. I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Tigres wouldn't have had the same fluidity that Leon have, and I think it would have made it a little bit more even. But Tigres, I think, would overall have more experience with, you know, Gignac and Cordova's yeah, no, just form. Too. They, and they probably could have found a way to win that one, too, if they had made it. I do think it says a lot about MLS, though, that they rely on matchups that much. Yeah. Whereas Mexico is more in control of just, if we make it, we can get the victory. Yeah. Pumas was, I think, an outlier in that situation. They were so bad. Yeah. They were just so bad. But if you look at every other winner since then, like, or at least every other winner before that, Mexico has dominated this tournament for such a long time. And I'm just, I'm, I, I feel like I got I to gotta harp on MLS a little bit, man. No, go because ahead. for me, I, I, I thought, I expected more. I expected more from the representative of MLS being LAFC, but also on the international level with how USA has in a way caught up to Mexico as well. A lot of talk about that happening too, with them 
going on a deeper run in the World Cup uh, in 2022, and then uh, doing better against Mexico in the qualifying cycle and, and having their number per se in like the last three matchups, defeating them every single time. I thought that that would translate over to the league level too, where we saw some very feisty teams, uh, like for example, Philadelphia going up against Atlas and defeating them in that situation. I just kind of saw the tide kind of shifting in general, man, but to see LAFC bend over like this, bro, against a, a Leon team that I, 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 I reiterate, bro, just is not that convincing in my opinion. They're good, bro. I don't mean no offense. No, no, Nakamon is a genius for what he's been able to do with this squad. But they shouldn't be struggling that much, man. Not to that level because of the way that I've seen them dominate MLS themselves. And so I'm disappointed in MLS for what they uh, essentially ended up doing, which was succumbing to the greatness of Mexican football, which at the end of the day, I back. And not really providing much of a challenge, dude. Yeah. It's disappointing. And I just wish I could have gotten a much more competitive final because once again, it's so lopsided that the fan take, that the fan reaction is going to be that, M that Liga Mekis is still completely dominant of CONCACAF. And it is in a certain way, but I think there's a lot of nuance to be given to this argument between both sides. And USA is going to have to work another year to get themselves back in that conversation uh, in a year where I thought they already had it. That's a really good take. And it, it kind of reminds me of what I've been thinking about, honestly, for like the past couple of weeks, being in Mexico, seeing Liga MX playoffs, and then seeing MLS regular season. I kind of want to harp on the MLS too. I think the reason why we get disappointed with so many MLS teams, I think a big part of it, man, is truly this. I think the league is too big. And I think all of the talent gets completely diluted. Because you see a team like, for example, Austin FC. There's some really good players on that team. But the rest of the players, man, not even close. <laughs> so you get complete disparity within a single club. Whereas I would say all the Leon players are almost at the same level. Maybe Davila's a little bit better, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. Campbell in his prime was mm -hmm. definitely a little bit better. But I would say for the most part, they're all at the same good high level. And you could say the same thing about LAFC, though, man. Like... Again, their midfielders, I thought Tillman was dreadful. Ilya Sanchez was all right. And then you compare him to Buanga and Carlos Vela, who are pretty much their only saving grace in this two-legged final. But again, you can make all of those comparisons across almost the entire MLS. The league is just too stretched, in my opinion. And I don't think it leads to consistency. I don't think it leads to teams being able to build good franchises and good squads over the course of like even three years, right? Whereas like Leon, we've had our back line for like almost five years now. Like it's set in stone, year, it's set in stone campaign after campaign. We know we're gonna have a, at least somewhat of an experienced defense. Our midfield has pretty much always been the same too with Hernandez, Mena, and then we add in some new guys like Lucas Romero. So there's always like a core, I feel like in Liga MX that is always built around. And then we look to add in new and then we look to add in new flavors and new flair to see if we can go on to win something. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I just think it's a lot more composed in Mexico than it is in the MLS when it comes to squad building. So yeah, man, I just think the league is too big in MLS. I think the, the talent is too stretched. And it leads to stuff like this, where LFC is really good 
in certain aspects, but they're really, really bad in others. I'm going to describe one situation and I want you to respond with one word as to what you think represents your feelings towards that situation. So one word. One word. One word response, all right? Messi to Inter Miami. Intrigued? Interest peaked. I'm intrigued by that one. Okay. Inter Miami where he could do something that no other player has done, which is promote the game of MLS to an extreme level, showcase himself like no other, and dominate, the, dominate this league from the moment he enters it, and do it in such a fashion where he probably end up earning some sort of ownership toward the, towards the club itself as a certifiable payment towards his services. That's where he stands on this situation. Where do you think he'll end up? The idea of the MLS intrigues me because he would have an incredible opportunity to promote the game, as you said. But I've said it before in a previous podcast where we talked about Inter Miami and Messi. Every single game when Messi's on the road is going to be sellout. Dallas, Austin, Portland, Seattle, L.A., all of these places, Philadelphia, New England, and even places that just don't really garner that much attendance, you know, these places are going to be at least a little bit more packed solely because Messi is coming to town. And beyond that, man, I mean, America is, and this is just completely unbiased, it is the land of entertainment. So why not being the most entertaining footballer in Lionel Messi? to the land of entertainment. It was just a match made in heaven. So for me, it would just make a little bit more sense. Now, of course, go to Saudi Arabia. I think the Saudi Arabia media would do a really good job at hosting Messi, and it'd be the same thing. Every place that Messi would go to in Saudi Arabia would be a packed stadium because of him. 100%, I don't doubt that. It's just, I think the difference between Saudi Arabia and US isn't really money. And yes, obviously it's culture, but that's not the reason why I'd want him to come to the States. It's simply because we, you know, we're Hollywood, baby. You know, we're the land of entertainment repeated a third time. It would just make sense if Messi came here over Saudi Arabia. But the, what's crazy is that each reason is completely different. Promotion, money, or heart. And yeah. for me, each reason, honestly, are equal as far as what Messi's camp wants. Here's the, here's the big kicker, man. I mean, anywhere he goes, think of the Latin community. Think of all of the Argentines, Brazilians, Chileans, Hondurans, Costa Ricans, Salvadorans, Mexicans, or just Hispanic Americans who know Messi, but not just know him as, as the whole world does, but from a cultural perspective. There's a huge Latin American, South American culture in the States. And I just think it would be better, not just for Messi, but for the people. It'd be a people's move if Messi came to the States because of that. Now, am I saying that the Saudi Arabians wouldn't appreciate Messi? Absolutely not. They, of course, as I already said, would host Messi very, very well. And they would appreciate the fuck out of him. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, the, the Latin community that is present in the States, I think would be do so, so much more. And yeah, it would mean it's like, so much more. It's like the closest he could get to essentially playing back in Argentina. Exactly. Man. And we've never seen that for Messi outside of like when he's played in like Copa America or international exactly. games. At the club level, this would be a monumental move for him. And I do agree. I would love to see that. And I do think that 
that that's a beautiful thing behind what Inter Miami has to offer. There is a lot of money, though. And I do think that because of that, we have seen some incredible deals being signed with Karim Benzema mm-hmm. deciding to go from Real Madrid to Saudi Arabia on a lucrative, I believe, $100 million a year salary. And Golo Kante has now been confirmed as well to have been bought out from Chelsea to go to Saudi Arabia and play football there. Obama Yang is in the talks of going there as well. Okay, as we sense. already know, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo has already made himself at home in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And the transfer window has just started. Yeah. I think the implications of what Saudi Arabia is planning to do is a fascinating discussion point. Is it good? Is it bad for the sport? That is yet to be seen. But right now, they're almost doing what the MLS has been known to do for the past couple of decades, which is buying players that are past their prime, offering them a lot of money to come join and promote their league. But they're doing that on fucking steroids, dude. They're doing that with insane amounts of money funneled by that oil that they have over there. And they're doing it with the intent of growing and promoting their league to an unknown amount. My question to you is, there's a lot of talk behind whether this is a good thing for the sport of football, whether this is a bad thing, whether right now it's okay because a lot of these players are reaching points in their careers where it can be passed off as them being washed up or it can be passed off as, you know, kind of like what China did with them also signing players for a high amount of of money, but we're also kind of past it in their career. What happens when Saudi Arabia starts signing young players? What happens when Saudi Arabia starts signing a player that's like 22 years old and, dare I say, gets an Mbappe type of talent Hmm. to come play there instead of seeing them on the biggest stage competitively in Europe? Is this good? Is this bad for the sport of football? I think it's great. I really do. And just to be clear, let let me explain the difference. The reason why I don't want Messi to go to Saudi Arabia is because Messi is in a class of his own. He's, he rep- he re- literally represents more than just football. So that's why I want to put Messi in kind of the best situation. Now, when it comes to everybody else, I actually don't care where they go. So, for example, Benzema going to Al-Itihad, great. That's going to that's gonna bolster their squad. I think they're actually top of the league already. So they're just going to get even better and hopefully can make you know Champions League runs and try and get to the top of the Asian continental scene. I love that. Anytime a league can improve themselves, whether that's through getting better coaches or in this case, getting just better European talent, even if they're a little bit older, I'm always for it. Because at the end of the day, you get a guy like Benzema He's going to improve your squad. Not only that, if you have like a 20-year-old Saudi Arabian striker on the bench, maybe you can learn a thing or two. You know, like <laughs> it's not going to be a bad thing. Yeah. The only thing where it can go wrong is the situation that happened in China before COVID. They did a very similar thing where they got a ton of really good, maybe slightly older players from Europe. What I didn't like about that situation wasn't the idea of it. It's what happened after they got them. The players would play there for like six months, not like either the culture of China or not enjoy like the climate or maybe the money. And they would leave. They would return back. It was a really negative aspect of business that didn't work for either side. The player would lose a year of professional European football, come back a little rusty, and then the club wouldn't get the player that they bought. 
You know, they would, like, for example, when Yannick uh, Carrasco left Atletico, he went to Dalian uh, Yang or something like that in China. And I was pissed because he was our best player the year that he was bought by that Chinese club outside of Antoine Griezmann. And, he, and in that Champions League final, Carrasco was our best player. And after that, he went to China. I was like, damn, like, just like that? Like, you're just going to leave Europe, you're going to leave Atletico to go to China. I was like, okay, I understand. As long as you grow your career there. And I'm not even saying, like, play in a really good competitive atmosphere because obviously the competition between Europe and China is not the same. But I don't even care about that. What I care about is improve yourself as a human being or improve your aspect of playing or share your knowledge with the players around you. Make the club you're going to better. That didn't happen, though. When they went to China, nothing happened. It was a neutral or a negative experience. And so that's what I hope doesn't happen to Saudi Arabia if they continue on this trend. I hope that football itself, when they get these players, grows with the players that they sign, with the players that are already at the club, and just the league itself. I hope it all grows from these transfers. If that happens then it's going to be a beautiful thing when they get the next Mbappe, man. Because he'll be coming to a league, coming to a system that is flourishing, that is promoting really good football. And honestly, I think Saudi Arabia actually is many steps ahead of China in that regard because, I mean, look at the Saudi Arabia national team and what they've been able to achieve. Incredible World Cup campaigns for qualification and then actually performing at the World Cup this past one in 2022. I think that's a really, really good sign that outside of the foreigners in Saudi Arabia, they're teaching the game right to the domestic players in that league. So the coaching seems to be right. All the systems in place seem to be right at each club. So yeah, I, overall, really liking this. And if from what I'm seeing right now can just grow, then I'm all for it, bro. All for yeah, it. Yeah, I wonder if the intentions are that productive is my only concern because it's so it's so uh, obviously ran by money right now yeah. and by just bags of money being offered to whatever players willing to come to them. Like, I was surprised by the Angolo Cante one, man. Like, what, what team, like, does a team need a Cante right now? Sure, he will upgrade them no matter what. <laughs> right. But what if that team had a pretty good defensive midfielder that's Saudi Arabia? And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. We needed a right winger right now. But instead, they got Angolo Cante because they were able to, in a way, convince him to come. I think right now it's kind of weird, the landscape that they have. But I do think that overall, the improvement towards the league will happen regardless because with that much money, bro, the landscape of Saudi Arabian football will improve. I just, I'm curious to see what their ultimate goal is. Is it to become a top five league in the world? Ooh, yeah. If so, then that would make for a very interesting situation, one that we probably haven't seen in decades or ever where the top five leagues exist in football. Four of them are in Europe, one's in Saudi Arabia. What happens then? What do we see then? Do we end up seeing Saudi Arabia become a, a land of players for which European clubs snag players from? Or is it the opposite way around? And how high up that ladder can Saudi Arabia go? Can they end up becoming the best league in the world because they just eventually funnel so much money into these clubs that they end up earning that that title. I think that Saudi Arabia in general That's is crazy. aiming for growth even outside of football with their 
p- potential the line. You see that shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's progression there, I just, man. <laughs> I, w- I wish it was a little clear what they're trying to do behind the scenes because I'm fearful that, you know, you, you take the MLS, for example, who has a more, has a similar approach, but on a smaller scale. At the very least, MLS has now turned into a very good breeding ground for young for young talent to eventually then go from there to develop their talent in Europe or in other leagues as well. If Saudi Arabia can't figure that side of the situation out and just ends up being a place where players get bought out, they just play for money and have that be it, then it'll just be China 2.0, bro. And I'm cautious of that sort of outcome happening because it's just it's just going to keep happening, bro. And we're at the very beginning of it with the yeah. transfer window just now starting. I want to see what other talent they're able to snag. But at the very least, it's showing to me that the players at the end of the day, which truly makes sense, do value the money, man. They do. Yeah, well, yeah. They don't 100%. care about the, the, the so-called European prestige that we thought carried so much weight. The ability to play in very competitive matches. If we continue, if we continue to see more deals like this, just tells me that at the end of the day, a player values money. They value taking care of their family. Family. They value generational fucking wealth. And I don't blame them <laughs> right, for it. Right, right, right. But God damn it, bro. I think we finally found the amount of money it takes to overtake the prestige of playing in Europe. Look at the opposite example that is in Asia as well. Japan and Korea. The J League and K League consistently produce highly competitive teams within the Asian landscape. Pretty much every single finalist side that comes from the eastern half of Asia is either Korean or Japanese. But look at their squads. Out of the 11, almost always nine of them are domestic. So if you have a Korean team, it'll be nine Koreans and then two, maybe three foreigners. But what the difference is for them is the foreigners aren't even big European players. They're usually like mid-tier, yeah. low-key, sometimes even low-tier type of European player that do improve the squad, but nowhere near the names that the Middle East garner themselves. But who just won the AFC Champions League this year? Urawa! <laughs> A Japanese team. A team who did it with... A Norwegian, a Norwegian player from Bodo Glimt. That was their European player. When you compare to all the other European players, Kareem Benzema. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> fucking nuts. It, it's nuts. But what's crazy is the output, you could argue, is actually higher for the Korean and Japanese because when you look at exports from Asia to Europe, it's all Japan and Korea. Almost no Middle Eastern players ever go to Europe. It's almost non-existent. Saudi Arabian players and Qataris more specifically and United Arab Emirate players. Those domestic three countries rarely, if ever, export their own players to Europe. Whereas players who have actual quality and class usually and generally come from a more domestic scene in Korea and Japan. So it's really interesting because we kind of already have it. And you gave the example of the MLS. The MLS do get European talent, 
but it's more so a, a grounds to, of a breeding ground to build the youth of Americans. They play with these Europeans and then they get to go to Europe. Whereas I don't know what Saudi Arabia is doing if they're kind of trying to do the opposite is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. And then you again have those examples of Japan and Korea being largely domestic, but they actually end up producing the better players. So is there a right way to do it? Well, well, the examples say do it the Japan and Korea way. Focus on domestic players rather than focus on getting the big names. But if, again, if Saudi Arabia just keep going this direction of just buying players, buying players, buying players, we'll see something I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah, and, we'll see and, like and, Messi going to fucking Al Halal. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. that's the the outcome of the situation, bro. Right, and that's that that is crazy. That's like a really big step as far as like purchasing oh, power. It's massive, but it's just so back and forth on the fucking pendulum swing of what could happen that I am just concerned genuinely for what will happen. What a fucking like this idea, the idea that the Saudi Arabian purchase, purchasing power really could change even just economically the landscape of where footballers end up playing like top level football. If it keeps going this direction, man, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to head as you're saying, but like you said, and I just want to echo it. I hope it's productive because if it is, we could see something pretty, we could see something pretty dope. Like we could see genuine competitive football in a place outside of Europe, low key, like uh, like a Liga MX, but on steroids, you know? Yeah. Cause we've always, we've always yearned for like that outside of Europe league to, be up there with yeah. the best leagues. And we've never really truly gotten close with it. Obviously, Liga Mekis has tried. Yeah. Uh, Brazil Brazil's has tried at one good. point, man. Yeah. But even then, with the, the incredible natural talent that they have, even they haven't been able to do it. Might end up being Saudi Arabia, bro. Yeah. It might end up. And I'm just interested to see what that looks like, bro. They end up fucking... Pulling in 22-year-old Garnacho, bro. At one point. <laughs> crazy. That could fucking happen now, man. Right. And so the ultimate question is, is that bad? That's what I'm asking, bro. <laughs> Is that bad? If you take a true prospect who could change a European, t- who could change a mid-table European team's future over the next like two seasons, but instead they choose to go to Saudi Arabia, because dude, huh. my, my whole thing is, for you know, think about the Champions League. There was never a point throughout the tournament where I was like, "Damn, I wonder what this tournament would have looked like if Messi wasn't here." I wonder what this tournament would have looked like if Mbappe was elsewhere. The Champions League does a great job, and mainly Europe, because they accrue so much of the top talent that a Champions League-like tournament makes sure to at least give those top 10, 15 players in the world a chance to vie for the same trophy. But if you have, say, three of the top 10 players in Europe playing in Saudi Arabia, for example, then it suddenly kind of puts an asterisk on, an, on a tournament as important as the Champions League, where, for example, if Man City wins it with Holland and Mbappe was in fucking Saudi Arabia, I'll always be left wondering, what would have PSG looked like? Or what would have Real Madrid, if he ends up going there, look like if Mbappe had been playing for them instead of going over to Al-Etihad, for example? And that simple asterisk, that simple hypothetical is what I worry that Saudi Arabia might end up doing because of how much they can offer to these players, their ability to just snag a top, top player. Even a guy like Benzema, man, who isn't past it. He still has a lot to give. Oh, yeah. It could still be a very important part for Real Madrid, although his tenure did finally come to an end. A part of me will wonder next year, what will this tournament have looked like if Benzema, Ballon d'Or winner, just would have been in this tournament? And if Saudi Arabia continues stealing those players away, 
I do think from the fan perspective, they'll have to find a way to just include Saudi Arabian teams into the Champions League <laughs> or, or, or do something to satisfy uh, that, that thirst. Because I ultimately see the Champions League, not because it's in Europe, but because I know that I will see the top talent in the world face off against each other in a competitive stage. Wow. Wow, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's like the argument of World Cup versus UEFA Champions League yeah. because the World Cup inevitably leaves out some really big players. Wow. And that's why people do end up preferring Champions League in, right. in, in many in, cases in because of sense, that. Yeah. In a competitive sense, because you just nailed it on the head. The best players in the world playing the UEFA Champions League. But now there's a chance that that might not be true. What will be interesting is, let's just say, in the next season or two, in the, one of those off-seasons... What would be interesting is, let's say, Al-Hilal try to get like an inform prime striker, like 27, 26, 28 years old. What then? Because that's when I would get scared. That's when I would be worried. Because even Benzema, I'm like, okay, well, he yeah. had a long career in Europe. You know, go enjoy the fruits of your labor in Saudi Arabia and still enjoy the game. But I wonder... If an offer is ever made, let's just say Holland, obviously I don't think that would happen, but let's just say oh, Holland gets an offer in the next two years, right? To go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They've been building their league. They've been building their squads. Let's just say, I wonder if there will be like a rejection because that would tell me if I should be worried or not. If a guy like Holland, or let's just say, you know, in that realm of just being very, very good in the European landscape, if a guy like that is able to reject the massive money of Saudi Arabia in his prime, then I know for the most part, the best players will always be in Europe, right? And we'll still get to see them in one yeah. big tournament. But if a big player in their prime ever actually decides to go, then I think that'll just leave more room open for other players to make the same yep. decision. Yep. It'll so be yeah, a floodgate, bro. It would be a floodgate. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if we're even going to get that opportunity, or do the Saudi Arabian clubs know that just ah, it's not even worth asking? I wonder. There's so much unknown here, man. Oh, man, there's so many places that we can go in terms of conversation. As I mentioned, we can go to Saudi Arabia and we can discuss the incredible amount of transfers that are happening over there. Ben's the insane Benz. amount of money that's being spent. We can talk about other title races. Belgium fucking having an insane fucking outcome. FA Cup looking insane too. But, you know, this is a climate where things are constantly changing. Things are shifting all the time. Yeah. But one thing that is constant, one thing that stays the same. You know where I'm going? I know exactly where you're going. Retirement. Oh, interesting. Retirement. Never mind, I got it wrong. <laughs> Retirement never changes. And we had a very, very important figure retire from the sport of football. A person that was very impactful in the outcome of games. Someone that dominated the landscape for so many years. Who was such a great decision maker. And that caused us to have so many heavy emotions when we saw them part ways with the game of football a game that they love and a game that they themselves cried over and that man is Mateo Lajos the Spanish La Liga referee has announced his retirement going off in tears in his final game and announcing that he is leaving the game of football today is a sad day for Real Madrid and Barcelona fans because they have lost a vital <laughs> vital piece of their title contention thank you 
<laughs> for your service is he actually retiring he's done dude he's done how old Let's is he pitch in tears bro how old in tears. is he uh i don't know his age oh, okay i don't know his age man he doesn't look that old doesn't look that old uh i really just thought he had a few more years in him i really did yeah i thought that he would be able to just continue at his incredible rate to continue being in massive important matches and continue deciding the outcome of those games despite very controversial moments in his career yeah i was i'll be completely honest look obviously congratulations to your retirement and enjoy it all right you've been on some of the biggest stage stages of all of world football club and international never a fan of this guy i'm gonna be completely <laughs> honest man but it was not, not even, one not for even for like a few months bro nah, no 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 I, I think the first game that i ever watched him play i don't remember it but i'm pretty sure i already didn't like him <laughs> like it was just like face value i was like oh fuck this guy fuck i'm not gonna Damn. i'm not a fan of this ref is he top three most disliked refs in your opinion <sighs> top three bro we're talking about a prestigious list man yeah <laughs> like the balloon doors for ref right. For most hated, who would be that number one slot? Damn. And where would he be in terms of overall ranking? I, I, I don't know who number one is. I, I don't think it's him. I don't I know who it's number one. it's got to be an English one. I, but I'll put him top three. I'll put him top three for sure. And it's not even like he ever did me wrong realistically. I'm not even, I don't even have like a personal vendetta against him. It really is just the way he officiates games. I don't think I like his personality on the pitch, to be completely mm. honest. Like, it's just too. He does have a personality. It's just, what, abrasive maybe? He just seems like kind of like a dick. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. I don't know if he is. Like, I'm not going to say he is. I'm just saying he seems. His like on field persona is right. like kind of asshole-ish. A little yeah. bit. Like, he always just, like, d never tries to have conversations with players. He always just, like, you know, like, en enough. Like, and I'm just, like, I, I always like a ref who at least tries to have some sort of dialogue. Yeah. But Laos never has, never has any of it. Like, just never. And more importantly, though, and this is why I truly don't like him, way too quick on the card. Way too quick. I think he's, he, I think he's the ref known for giving out, I believe, 33 yellow. No, that can't be 33. Was it 33? No, I, I bet, bro. I think it was <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like 22 or 33 yellow cards in one match. He was like he has he's like notable. He's well known for that shit. No, I, but I bet, dude. Like I that does not surprise me. He's just way too quick on it, man. It, it's he's got a he's got a itchy itchy finger. Itchy finger, man. The currency isn't that much for him, so he just yeah. tosses him out hands him out like it's nothing and for me you know I, I like a game that is a little bit more fluid that has a little bit more leniency to it I'm not a fan of the strict ref and I think Laos and I think Laos is one of the strictest out there <laughs> damn that's how you say goodbye to his that's career that's how I say goodbye man honestly good riddance <laughs> god damn shit dude. man refs don't got it easy out here they man they don't got it easy but I truly do think and, and again this has nothing to do with the man personally but la liga will be a better place without him and in reality what i meant to credit and the man that i meant to pay respect to was very obviously <laughs> slatan ibrahimovic slatan <laughs> yeah. ibrahimovic has retired from the game of football at 41 years old man i went back i looked at his highlights i looked at his wikipedia to see his fucking journey man he is he has had an incredible adventure through the genesis of football, going from La Liga to the Premier League to Netherlands to 
Serie A, man. Yeah. And he's won and damn near every single country he has gone to. And he's performed at a high level as a striker as well in every single one of these leagues. I think there's an argument to be made that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the most versatile striker of this generation because he genuinely has the evidence to prove it. Bro, he was in the MLS. Yeah. He was in the United States at one point, plying his trade and dominating this league as well in terms of goals put up per season. Then he goes over to Italy, he goes over to Spain, he goes over to England, and he does the same thing, double-digit goals in nearly every season that he performed in. An incredible, incredible player on the pitch, an amazing, sometimes controversial persona off the pitch with his pretentious galore, mm -hmm. with his Andrew Tate-like confidence, <laughs> with his dominant demeanor, and his overall shit talk that he loved to spew on a consistent basis. Slatan Ibrahimovic, a legend of the game, a legend of my childhood, and a man that I personally have never not seen play the game of football, hanging up his boots, calling it quits with AC Milan finally receiving a beautiful tribute and video and stadium-wide uh, appreciation mm -hmm. as a goodbye. And we say thank you, Slatan Ibrahimovic. And many others say fuck you as well because <laughs> good Lord, bro. This guy was controversial at times. Yeah, he really yeah, was, man. Yeah. But what a career and what a legacy. Your thoughts. Now, I like how you said he's so versatile because he really is pretty much in every single facet of the game. You mentioned how versatile he was statistically, you know, his ability to score, but as well as provide an assist, his versatility to play in so many different types of leagues. You said it, Ajax in the Netherlands, Barcelona in Spain, both Milan, actually not both, actually Actually, yes, yes, both. Yes, yes, yes. Both Milan clubs in Italy, Manchester United, and he was actually pretty good before he like you know tore his ACL or whatever it was, and then dominated for LA here in the MLS, PSG. <laughs> <laughs> his resume is insane, it's crazy, bro. It's ridiculous. Crazy. Ajax, and as you said, everywhere he went, he was like one of the most prominent characters in said league, and. To top it all off, I mean, my God, you could, you could write a book on the skill of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. His ability to build, I think, honestly, is a little bit underrated because one thing that I really noticed when, when I really started honing in on his game at PSG was obviously he's a ridiculous finisher, an incredible striker of the ball. But, dude, his chance creation is actually really high for, like, a traditional number nine, if that's what you call him, and that's where you put him on the pitch, his ability to build is very, very good. It's low. I would say like him and Benzema, probably like the best number nine type of strikers as far as versatility and just overall ability on the ball. Zlatan can pretty much do it all. He can pass through ball, dink it over the top, and then you give him the ability to score in his prime, I mean, low-key, kind of like Holland, just unstoppable. Give him an inch of space, and he'll put it in the bottom corner, man. He was that lethal. And then you top it all off with, like, some of the craziest goals that I think I've ever just seen with my own eyes. I've seen some crazy, like, backflip goals, like, side foot, where his foot, like, six feet in the yes, air. Bro. Like, chip shots, 50-yard screamers. Zlatan literally has done it all. Bro, a bicycle kick from like 50 yards <laughs> yeah. out against England, dude. Yes, yes. Come on, man. Come on, Come man. on. That's Zlatan, man. And yeah, it, it, it is crazy. I think just on a more personal level, yes, goodbye to Zlatan, a great 
a true Hall of Famer legend of the game of football. But I don't think it's hitting as hard for me because, I mean, look, I just really haven't seen him for a couple of years. You know, I mean, he's just been so injured. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm glad that he's officially calling it 41, man. That, that's like insane. Insane. The, insane that he even like went back to Italy after he was like, what, 39, 38, playing in the MS. He's like, you know what? I want a little bit more competition. You know, I want to do something. Goes back to Italy. And he's in the limited sure. minutes that he had, yeah. he was still he's so still good, Double bro. digits. Not this season, but the season past. He was still in double digits, yeah. dude. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and that, that, actually, that actually is insane because it, in this case, it truly is not like Zlatan's IQ or his brain that let him down. It really is just the inevitability of age. Yeah. That's the only thing that is stopping him from still scoring like 20 True. goals. Otherwise, he'd still be going, yep. dude. He'd still be going if he wanted to. That's, that's nuts, man. He's that good. Like age really isn't a factor for Zlatan. It's just like the physical aspect of it. Yeah. That's incredible. For me, one of the more personal, memorable moments I have had watching Slatan Ibrahimovic was his performance during the um, World Cup qualifiers when the UEFA came down to the uh, playoff system. And it was between Portugal and Sweden at the time. And Sweden, for a while, truly relied on Slatan to be the only offensive force for nearly over a decade. It wasn't just it wasn't until just recently that they were able to finally start building more lucrative teams. But for a long time, they relied on Slatan heavily to carry them offensively. And that match specifically was so fucking awesome to watch with Slatan and Ronaldo going back and forth, dude. Back and forth. Memorable goal after memorable goal. Just a classic shootout. The way you see it in the NBA when two players Put up over 40 points yeah. in a match against each other. It was the same goddamn, goddamn thing in this game. But Slatan was doing everything in his power to carry Sweden home to a World Cup appearance. Unfortunately, he fell short to one of the greatest strikers of all time, if not the greatest striker of all time, and Cristiano Ronaldo, who decided to have a masterful perform, who decided to have a masterful performance on that same exact day. But to me, the fact that he kept his team in the game with that that will to win and to go up against one of the greatest talents we have seen offensively in Cristiano Ronaldo, I was like, Slatan Ibrahimovic, in my opinion, has cemented himself as an all-time great offensive force in the game of football and someone that I, I believe will, will never be duplicated in the sport of football because of that added element of his persona and his personality off the pitch. It just made for just an incredible character that is really tough to find in sports, man. The attitude, his persona, his character really is going to be missed i mean you have me thinking right now who else really even comes close to him i, I don't think anybody does <sighs> yeah I mean, in that regard just ronaldo honestly that but yeah I, there's just really no one else dude no there really is there, re there really isn't and that that's got a nacho he's got a long way he's got a long way to go and that is interesting though because i mean yeah what, what a character have you been have you seen those like um remarks about him and pep and how like it just didn't work at barcelona right, yeah, but he was at Barca for it, but isn't that crazy though that like that was Zlatan. he would just go to these massive clubs and if it didn't work he'd be like all right 
fuck you. I'm going to go to another big club. Like, players don't Damn. do that. Yeah. Like, usually they're forced out or there's like, there is falling out, but it's usually never as positive for the player. Usually it's like a negative thing for them to leave a big club. Maybe they didn't want to go or the situation just didn't work out. But Slatan literally paved his own path if it didn't work out. And no matter where he went, it always worked out for Slatan, man. Like, what a character to have in football. That, that's that's yeah. insane. Europa Conference League is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The final is tomorrow. By the time this episode is released, the game will probably be happening. So, my prophecy is this. West Ham defeats Fiorentina 1-0 to continue the trend. <laughs> of Italian teams losing in the final of European competitions. We saw one. Go down against Sevilla. The Europa League royalty at this point. Winning and penalties against Roma. And I'm saying the same thing happens tomorrow with West Ham. Premier League side West Ham defeating Fiorentina in this final. 1-0. Your prediction. Yeah, I think West Ham will win it too. I, I like I like 1-0. I don't think it'll be a complete goal fest from West Ham. I just don't think they have that capacity to score a lot of goals within a singular 90 minutes. I like this Fiorentina side though. I really do. I like the way that they approach football, man. With Bonaventura, Nico Gonzalez playing such good, fluid football. And then you have really fun fullbacks, Dodo, Biragi. It's a fun team, man. And I like the way that they play the game, their style. I just think West Ham, I'm going to use the word sturdy here. I think they're just a little bit more sure of themselves defensively. I think they will make the less mistakes over the course of this game, ergo, I have them lifting the cup at the end of the day because I think Fiorentina is just a little too mistake-prone, man. If they were just a little bit more confident with their defense, their back line, I would actually probably tip my hat to the Italians for winning this title. But I just think West Ham have a little bit more physicality. I think Declan Rice is going to be the best midfielder on the pitch that day. And I think that's going to mean a lot. And then you still have some really crafty creative players with Paqueta, Ben Rama, and then you have a bulldozer in uh, Antonio. There's a lot of good things going forward for West Ham. Even though I don't think they play the most fluid football, I just think overall they'll be a little bit more sound than their Italian opponent. So, yeah, I'm going West Ham, but I do like this Fiorentina side. And then at the weekend, we have the Champions League final. We've already revealed our thoughts towards this game. We've previewed it. But just to say one final thing, let's talk about Man City for a little bit because they just recently came off of sealing their double this season so far with a victory over Manchester United in a game where I thought they weren't even at 100%. This was not a Man City team that showed their full potential in this game, yeah. yet they were able to, to win the title against their local rivals with two beautiful Ilkay Gundogan volleys, one with each foot. The yeah. dude just shows up like no other when it's time to show up, man. This dude is so timely about how he performs and how he just comes up big time and time again for Manchester City, dude. He did it last year in the title race as well against Liverpool, scoring the game-winning goal, and now he's doing it again both in the Champions League and in the Premier League and FA Cup. So Manchester City are champions, FA Cup champions, that is, yeah. celebrating their title, but knowing that they still have the biggest prize awaiting for them, which is the Champions League trophy against Inter Milan. Before the game arrives, all I want to say is my final thoughts as Manchester City goes into this match and prepares themselves for the game. 
I still have Manchester City winning this game, bro, and pretty comfortably. Although it is a final and things get tight at times, I could see it being kind of close to the first 30 minutes, but eventually I just see Manchester City cracking the seal of that Italian defense and then also Inter Milan not providing enough impetus offensively to be able to truly challenge Manchester City. Even if they get a surprise goal at some point, I just see Manchester City dominating this game, dominating ball possession, and ultimately cracking the door wide open and having the floodgates arise with them maybe scoring two or three goals in this game. So my prophecy for this one is going to be Manchester City wins. Let's go 2-0. I like that. Again, I think a two-goal differential would be really fair. It's what I predict as well. But... I actually think the FA Cup final was a really good preview as to what's going to happen in this UEFA Champions League final. Not from the performance from Manchester City, but how the game played out. Because ultimately, Manchester United played the best that they could. They were threatening in sporadic moments. And when they weren't threatening and they weren't on the ball, you know, they were chasing shadows, but they were up for it. They were competitive on the defensive end. Now, were they the second best team? Completely, man. Like, there was only one team that was going to win that Manchester derby in Wembley on Sunday, and it was Manchester City, the ones in blue. And I think it's going to be the same thing here this Saturday against Inter Milan. It's only going to be Manchester City winning this title. But I think Inter Milan will be competitive. I don't think they're going to you know, get completely embarrassed like Madrid did in the semifinal. I think they're in... I think in moments, Inter Milan will get forward and, you know, they'll make that backline of Manchester City sweat, but only in moments, only in very short bursts and spurts. And for the rest of it, I think Manchester City will have the ball, they'll have their way, and they will continue to just attack, attack, attack. And Milan will hold. Inter will hold as long as they can, but they're going to let in a couple. And ultimately, that's just going to be all she wrote, man. And Manchester (laughs) City is going to fulfill the treble if manchester city is able to complete the treble they'll go down in history as the second english side to complete that task with manchester united in 1999 being the first english side to do it when you compare both teams do you rank this 2023 manchester city treble winning side better than that 1999 manchester united version i wish I was a lot more conscious during 99. (laughs) I really do. So I could make a truly fair comparison because obviously the first thing that comes to mind for me is just the idea of modern football. You know, when I've looked at hours and hours of highlights of mid 2000s football, even 90s football is, I think when the modern game started to really develop was in the 90s, Mm -hmm. especially in England with, you know, Manchester United kind of being the forefront of that type of football. I still always just kind of, rank the modern game a little higher. And I I do think it is a little bit of bias just because that literally is what I was born into. And so you asked me that question, I'm going to give you the answer of, I think this Manchester City side is just better. Simply because when I look at like player for player, you know, talent for talent, I mean, I would probably take 10 out of the 11 players from Manchester City. And I might take like, I don't know, fucking a defender or a goalkeeper from Manchester United. And I know that they had really lethal strikers and, you know, really big characters in their side and really good midfielders too. I understand that. 
But just when I look at the talent, what I see with my eyes, I just see the city players as more talented, better on the ball, off it, better technique. And so, yeah, I'm just going to go Manchester City. But can I really compare the two eras? No. So it's, it's an answer, but it's, I would say it's only half an answer. I think Grealish runs the boots off Gary Neville. Yeah. I think Rodri dominates Roy Keane. You offer, you put up a David Beckham. I have a Kevin De Bruyne to it, counter. It, exactly. I think, dude. I but think you have this Bernardo is... Silva over Paul Scholes. I know Scholes was amazing. I understand that. I know they're slightly different players too, but Silva's class. Man. Mm-hmm. He can Come do it all. On. Come on, man. I think this conversation is... Uh, I think a lot of people cling on to that Manchester United 1999 side because of the nostalgia, but also because there were so many icons on that team. Yeah. And I'm not questioning their talent, skill, and their legacy because the names on those squads were ridiculous, especially now that their careers have all panned out. None of them play anymore. It's easy for us to look back and be like, holy shit, 1999 Man U was star-studded, bro. And it's so great to see and so great to appreciate. But I hate the... I hate it when we when there's a clear answer yeah. and people let that nostalgia get in the way. The way Manchester City is playing is one of the most beautiful ways that I have ever seen the sport of football be played. And I don't know if Manchester United 1999 ever reached those those heights of just absolute beauty, art form, a, a work of art on the field and how they managed to win a game and get a result. Manchester United at that time was a completely different side. They were very, they're full of workhorses, blue collar folks, players that were just willing to win and had a different mentality. (laughs) And that was their selling point. But on the pitch, I just think that skill wise and quality wise, what the players have to offer today, and maybe this won't make sense until 10 years from now when none of these guys play, Manchester City in this day and age is the best team and is going to go down as one of the greatest teams of all time. And to me, will go down as the best. English treble winning side if they beat Inter Milan. If they don't, then they never deserve to be in this conversation. That was wrong. That, that is that's actually a good point. Yeah, because there always is that chance Inter Milan somehow scrapped this. And, you know, they're a good squad. It is possible. But I, I do wonder, because we'll only know with time, once it's like 2040 and we've had 30 years of just nonstop football watching, Yeah, how will we feel when we're seeing, you know, a treble winning side in the year 2043 and how will we feel when they're comparing them to the 2023 20 years ago Manchester City side how will we actually feel are we going to be like y'all I see what y'all saying <laughs> and I see what I, I see what I see with my own eyes but that city team was crazy and obviously we'll have the footage to watch but by then it'll be two different eras and I yeah. wonder I yeah. do wonder if us living in this era now, is it going to have a say in how we view the game in 20 years? We do have to acknowledge it. No, I, we I do, do wonder. This is what a lot of people do. I would hope that I am an objective human being I hope. 25 years from now, 30, 15 years from now, and I'm able to compare A to B. And so my answer to that would be that whichever team is the best team, I will back. I don't have that much of a sentimental value attached to this Manchester City side, so hopefully I can see it as Team A versus Team B and this one being better than the other. But that conversation is going to come up, especially if they end up pulling it off 15 years from now, maybe 5, maybe 10, maybe 20. The same question will be brought up, and we'll be feeling that heat. We'll be feeling that <laughs> that that shift within ourselves that a lot of people are feeling right now with that Man United squad of 1999. 
But ultimately, I hope that I can concede which team is best and I don't let my ego and my pride get in the way. Same. The give and go hopefully will be around during that time. And so we'll be able to see what that discussion will look like. But I hope that the comments just aren't filled with people being like, damn, remember when Saltero and Reynoso were able to see truth, bro? (laughs) (laughs) Shit. And, And we're just fucking prideful fucking pieces yeah, of shit we can't, we that can't, can't let go yeah. <laughs> of 2023 football, bro. Because for some reason, no. that just really connected with us on an unreal level. Right, right. One weird reaction here to uh, a good amount of transfers that have happened that have been solidified. I just want your one word reaction. Keep it quick, okay? So the first one that I want your reaction to, and you can attach a sentence if you'd like. Uh, okay. But one word reaction. Let's do Ugarte from Sporting CP has made a decision to go to PSG. Sure. That was that's mine. Mine was okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it could work. Or it also could just be another classic PSG transfer where he's just solid, but he's nothing more. Next one up is, and this one hurts me, Openda from RC Lanz uh-huh. has decided to go to RB Leipzig. This is a player that scored over 20 goals for, for Lanz this nice, season. yeah qualify them for the Champions League and instead has decided to go to the Bundesliga to RB Leipzig. Already the first of what will probably be a good number of Lons players that will end up leaving the club within this transition of a new season starting. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all I have to say because he was immense this season for Lons. But not only that, a really good goal scorer, obviously. I'm a little frustrated by this because whereas Leipzig are a good club, is it a progressive move? I feel like Lons could take Leipzig right now. Mm. And this feels like lateral, maybe even lateral with a two-degree decline. Yeah. And yeah. so I would rather this didn't happen. Yeah, dude. And it makes sense for Leipzig for pursuit. I mean, they got a gem because they have, they have Nkunku leaving to Chelsea. This is the immediate replacement. The Belgian, I think he's like 22, 23 years old, coming off an incredible season. It makes sense for them. And knowing RB Leipzig, they might, in a way, be able to heighten his career more than RC Lanz could because they have a knack for doing that with players and then sending them over to the Prem or La Liga. That's so I do true. think for himself, it probably is... A lateral, if not a little bit, two degrees incline hmm. towards a uh, potential greatness. But in terms of team success yeah. and team achievements, yeah, I agree with your take. I don't, I don't see RB Leipzig being as impactful as what RC Lance could have been after the incredible season, bro. One point, one point short of PSG. It's crazy. Something to be so proud of, bro. Yeah. Alexis McAllister going and officially confirmed to go to Liverpool. Liverpool have Whoa. made their signing. He is coming home. And Liverpool will have a new midfield addition. Alexis McAllister, the 24-year-old Argentine, is going to Liverpool. Lit. <laughs> That's lit, man. That's fucking awesome. I'm really happy with that signing. Obviously sucked for Brighton, but it was inevitable, I think, at this point. Liverpool have been begging for a creative midfielder, honestly. I really do think that they have. And now they get a guy like Alexis McAllister, who's 
probably had the best year of his career, and I don't see him slowing down whatsoever. If anything, I think his career is going to be heightened alongside these Liverpool players who are very, very good in their own right, and then you still have a really good manager in Jurgen Klopp. So going from De Serbi to Klopp, I think, is also a good transition for McAllister on a personal level. But I wonder, would you... If Obviously, we know Bellingham's going to Madrid, but if you had that option... Would you have rather picked Bellingham or McAllister? Oh, one to one, it's Bellingham. One okay. to one, one to one. Bellingham has four more years on McAllister, so you get even you get ten years of success with Bellingham. Yeah, no, no question, Bellingham. But I think the more fair question is: Would you take Alexis McAllister plus probably one or two more midfield signings, or Jude Bellingham? Because of the price yeah, tag yeah. alongside Jude Bellingham. I think yeah. Liverpool ended up getting him for like 45 mil, bro. It was an incredible steal for Alexis McAllister. That's versus good. what was for Jude Bellingham is projected like 150 million, dude. Yeah. I think that Liverpool has a plan to get multiple signings here. This is just the start of what is expected to be a very bu- a very busy season for Liverpool as they go through this revamp of their squad after a pretty disappointing season. I know that they're looking at the uh, Nice midfielder right now, Turam, the French player. I think he's like 20-something years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're looking to sign him as well as uh, Kone, another French player from, I believe, Monaco. That's where he played. No, from uh, Kone from uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach as well. So they're looking for these midfield options. I think they might end up getting more players, which in turn might be the better solution because Liverpool's biggest holdup these past few seasons – has honestly been injuries. Yeah, It's been the state of health of so many different players. They've had like four to five players that you can consistently name that get injured for months and months every single season. Liverpool are offloading all of these uh, health-concern-filled players, and they're replacing them with guys like Alexis McAllister, who's known for having a good injury history, which is honestly my biggest thing at this point. I look at talent second when it comes to Liverpool. I need to see a clear hospital record, and I'll be satisfied. And I think Alexis McAllister is a good step forward towards having that. Brahim Diaz being called back from being on loan, which I didn't know, at AC Milan, now going back home officially to Real Madrid. Okay. (laughs) You don't think he'll have an impact, man? Not really. I mean, he's a good player. He's really good on the ball, and he's crafty. He's Spanish as hell. And that's exactly what Madrid are. You know, they like that type of player. But do they need a guy like Diaz to come in and be the guy that they need him to be? He's not gonna. He's not gonna do that. I just see. I mean, he'll, I think he'll get in rotation. That's about it. So I guess that helps. But like impact, like Liverpool getting McAllister, not even close, man. Okay. Let me get your reaction to this: the potential replacement for Kareem Benzema. Kareem Benzema, Ballon d'Or winner, bro. Legend of Real Madrid. One of the most successful players they've ever had in their history. Is expected to be Kai Havertz. Really? They're looking at Kai Havertz as a potential replacement up front to be paired (laughs) alongside Vinny Jr. I need one word. Fuck. This is actually <laughs> tough. One word? I, One word, I need bro. like a phrase. <laughs> uh, I- incredible. Oh. It's incredible because I just don't believe it. No, I don't either, bro. I yeah. think this is... I think Real Madrid fans are in a pickle if they end up going for Kai Havertz. I, en- I think they're not going to end up liking what they get if that's what the Real Madrid board ends up going for. 
it's interesting to me. Uh, Kai Havertz is a player that does need a change of scenery. Yeah, he does, though. But I also don't think he's the type of player that will thrive in a new scenery as heavy and as big as Real Madrid. <laughs> when that scenery is one filled with expectations of the highest order, I don't see it being an expectation that Kai Havertz can reach. And thus, I'm fearful for him, bro. He did have his incredible moments with Chelsea, scoring the game-winning goal in the Champions League final. But that can only get you so far, bro. That can only carry your name for so long. And we've seen year after year, disappointments in the Premier League, gathering single-digit goal seasons oh, yeah. back-to-back. Oh, yeah. I don't see him doing it in La Liga, and I don't see this being a good move for Real Madrid. Yeah, he's very good on the ball. He has incredible skill. His technique is great, but I just don't see him as a goal scorer, man. I think, actually very similar to Joao Felix, I think he's kind of positionless, and that's actually a bad thing. If he knew exactly what he was, if he was just a creative midfielder, if he was just a secondary striker, hell, if he was just a wide midfielder, I think Kai Havertz would actually have a lot more success on the pitch. But I think due to him not knowing exactly what or who he is as a footballer, I think we see the result out on the pitch. It's hella inconsistent, man. Havertz sometimes looks really good, and then the next day he looks like he barely knows how to play the fucking game. It's very frustrating for me. And I, I, again, I'm just astounded that he would go to a club like Madrid, or actually the reverse, that Madrid are looking at a player like Havertz, who's just so inconsistent in my opinion. And I want to play... Just a little game with you. Just, just follow me here. No, 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 not a game, but it's more like a, yeah. it's a thought, it's a thought experiment, right? So, in philosophy, let me pose to you a predicament. Okay. There's a saying that goes, "If a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound?" Right, right, right. right. And <laughs> so, I'm not saying yes or no, bro. <laughs> so physically, obviously, yes, the vibrations are made. But the whole point of the question is to ask questions about perception and observation. As in, does anything really exist unless it's observed, right? As in, does the tree only fall if a person's there to witness it? Right. Or does it matter if it falls or not if no one's there to see it? So does it fall and does it make a sound? Yeah. Now, let me pose to you a soccer equivalent. If Liga MX is broadcasted in Europe, does anybody watch it? (laughs) (laughs) I just made notions that Liga MX is a big league on par with Argentina, Brazil. But does it get watched in Europe, man? No. Right? There's no no way. No, people are barely watching the French League, dude. Right. People are barely watching contextually Serie A in comparison to Premier League. Hell no, it's not getting watched. (laughs) Hell no. It's going to be on part of the Belgian League, bro. Only Belgian (sighs) folks will watch it. And only Mexicans in Europe will be fucking watching it. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, no. Uh, I, I think no. But I also don't think that's a bad answer. I don't think that's a bad thing because I think leagues in general rely on their domestic viewership the most. And it makes sense because it's the league that pertains to a certain country. So people will go out of the way to see the football that's being played closest to them. The Premier League and La Liga are outliers in that sense because they have astronomical squads and teams that lure in not just domestic views, but national and worldwide views. 
if Liga MX can form a team of that nomenclature, of that height, then they can be, to go on with an analogy, a tree so big that is observable by so many people, Ooh, yeah. despite the distance that you are at, that you do see that tree fall. And you do observe its tumble down to the ground. Ooh, yeah. But right now, Mexico is a small tree, a bush even, <laughs> that does not get seen when it falls down. Yeah. But if it can grow to be a fucking banger of a tree, yeah. then it'll eventually lure in that viewership. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it will, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I wow, dude, love that answer. Um I liken it because I thought about it. I was like, dude, I obviously I love watching football and I'll watch anything. I mean, I just watched the African Champions League final those this past yes, Sunday. Sir. Like one. Yes, sir. Alali getting Alali, a nice Alali, <laughs> getting Alali, a nice win in that rematch but, against but we like Casablanca. They stayed in it two one. We'll one see. of the worst refing displays I've ever seen. <laughs> he was having such a bad day that even the ball was bouncing into him at points, bro. I was like, good God, what a bad day in the office, bro. Yeah. Go ahead. No, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I liken it to the NBA. If you're American, we don't care about any other basketball that's played outside of the states oh, no, at all, man. No. And I know the Euro League is good. I I hear about it. You know, I hear people say like Europe's good. And obviously, there's incredible European basketball players that end up coming to the states to play professionally here. I could not care less about the Euro League. I just couldn't because of the, the, the league that is in True. because of the league that is in place here. True. You know? And I think obviously my approach to basketball and to football viewing is completely different, but I think that most people take my basketball approach and they they use that same approach when they watch their own domestic league when it comes to football watching. As you said, like if you're British, you could give a fuck about Italian soccer, right? You'll watch Champions League but I think outside of that, people don't really care. And it's the same thing if you're Spanish. Like, again, the Prem and La Liga, as you said, are just two giants. But everything else is going to be pretty local. And, I, yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. So, yeah, just a fun, fun little uh, th- thought, thought little experiment there. And to go on with experiments and games, we're going to play a game here where we quickly recap your thoughts on things that happened last week that we didn't get to see your reaction to. The biggest one being... Bayern win the Bundesliga on the final day with Dortmund choking. I don't even have to go into detail about this one. The viewers already saw my reaction. They already saw me go through the emotions of this match. But what we didn't get was a single thought, a single text, nothing from your reaction to this result. What does this mean? Not even to Bundesliga, bro, but to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll try to be brief with it without getting just too analytical. I'm, I'm just really... I'm bummed. I'm really mm. bummed that Dortmund, Dortmund couldn't do it, that they couldn't pull it off, given that all the cards on the last match day were in their favor. At home, too, man. Like, come on. Finish the job. But you know what's funny is this is exactly what I was talking about before the season even kicked off. Two things. I said two things. One, I said, I'm not questioning the Bundesliga's talent. I'm not questioning the ability that a team like Borussia Dortmund possess because they have incredible players and they play incredible football. You know what I am questioning, though? 
their ability to not bend over to Bayern Munich. And that is exactly what Dortmund did. Because my biggest gripe on German football is the mentality of all German clubs not named Bayern Munich. And even Bayern's mentality was a little unstable. But you know what's crazy? They still ended up winning the whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. You have, you're given a golden opportunity to lift the trophy yourself and finally end the dominance that Bayern have possessed over you for a decade. And Bayern still get the best of you. And that's my biggest problem with all of German football is I do think it's actually a disease. That's what I likened it to at the beginning of the season. It's a mental disease that plagues all German teams. The idea that Bayern can come into your doorstep and take your best player, can take your best coach, can take your best prospect without even asking. That's not a good relationship to have within your own league. And, but people say like, oh, well, you know, that's just how it is. Oh, there's more to it. I don't care because the product, what everybody sees is Bayern win their 11th straight or 10th straight, whatever that fuck it is now. That's, what, that's the reality of it all. So my, my point still stands. German clubs have a mental disease that they cannot overcome. They're ill. <laughs> and I don't know how to fix it. I mean, the only way to fix it is for the German Federation to come in and to make rules to try and stop Bayern's dominance but not just from like a financial perspective or from like a just operational perspective, because obviously we, we want the football to be fair. You know, I don't want to completely handicap anything that's happening, but I just think German teams just don't think right, man. And I think they just lack a little bit of grit, lack a little bit of self-confidence, maybe even. There's something there that I don't think is truly tangible and it's plaguing all of Germany, bro, because Dorman should have won this game. Like, it really was just jitters, nervousness. When, they, it, when that game kicked off and they were already down 2-0, before those two goals even went in, man, and during that, during that spell, dude, Dorman looked so nervous. They looked so nervous. And that's the problem. No team in Germany is used to winning. So, yeah, that's my whole point. I'm just really, I'm just really disappointed because this was a really good opportunity. It's a really good opportunity. Musiala looked good, though. What a goal. <laughs> <laughs> what a basically game-winning, title-winning, my God. Yeah. Musiala looked real good. Silky, smooth finish. 11 titles in the row. Yeah. Not one in their history. In a row. 11, bro. We said it at the very beginning of the season. We even released a TikTok of it, which people sent to my DMs, and I thought was funny because I had forgotten about it. One game into the season in the Bundesliga, we we uploaded a reel that said, congratulations, Bayern Munich, because after that game, they were already top of the table because I believe they won their first match by good margin. Yeah. So we said, congratulations, Bayern Munich, on winning your 11th title in the row. Isn't it fucking crazy that something we said eight months ago... (laughs) rings true at the very end of the season 100 factual not a single flaw in a single word we said in that sentence a hundred percent true and no one's surprised isn't that crazy bro yeah. that's fucking insane that's something that a lunatic would garner up and say yet to us it's so regular and so natural because it's the bundesliga and when it comes to the bundesliga outside of the amazing talent that they have outside of the incredible fan bases that they have not harping on any of that 
when it comes to the right. Bundesliga title race specifically. It's a fucking shame, dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. And again, I made the same point eight months ago, and I want to make the same thing. I know PSG win most of the titles, but you know what's crazy? Monaco and Lille have also won it within that time frame. Lons got very close too, and I know Dortmund got close again, but Bayern 11 straight. It, at the, Lons <laughs> tested PSG, though. PSG had to put up 85 points this season. Yeah. Bayern was not good this season, bro. Mm. They were not a title-winning side this season. Yeah. But neither was Dortmund. Neither yes. was RB Leipzig. Neither was Union Berlin. No one at the end of the day was able to conjure up a true title contending squad. And that, I think, is on the league itself. That's yeah. their fucking fault for right. not being able to have a system in place where a team can reach those heights that isn't Bayern Munich, bro. So I just don't know how people can defend this anymore, man. Yeah, right. I don't know how people can defend Dude, this. Dude, I know, man. I can defend the Bundesliga for allowing this, man. <laughs> on the worst season that I've seen out of Bayern yeah. to be crowned champions again. It's fucking despicable, man. One more topic that I want to touch on that we didn't get to really speak about this past week was the Europa League final. With Sevilla being crowned a champion of this tournament for what? Like the eighth fucking time now? Yeah. An 8-0 record in the final. To me, that's one of the most impressive stats in all of football. Yeah. To go undefeated in a final like that... Eight and a donut is incredible, <laughs> bro. That's that's truly incredible. People it is. marvel at Michael Jordan's final right. Michael Jordan's final appearance record, where he made six finals and never lost a single one. We'll add on two more on top of that, and that's Sevilla and Europa League finals, or maybe just European finals in general. Yeah, incredible, yeah. dude. Incredible, true royalty in this tournament. And defeating an Italian team that I had predicted would fall short at this stage. An Italian team that had a very similar record too when you look at their coach, Jose Mourinho, having, I believe, up to this point, a 5-0 and record in European finals. It's now 5-1 and as he falls into second place in this game after an insane penalty shootout that saw Sevilla be crowned champions. Congratulations to Sevilla, man, but I'm with you. I'm so astounded by this, man. The fact that they just don't lose finals and just also the way that they've been playing this past decade when it comes to Europa League. Once they get here, they look so convincing. It's like, oh, yeah, this Sevilla team, yeah, of course they're going to win this game or of course they're in this final. But that consistency is remarkable to me, man. Like, And when you look at the season that they had this year, <laughs> but the way that they ended it is insane. It's like Leon, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, like you have so many lackluster and depressing moments, but then you literally end your season lifting a glorious trophy. It's an incredible way to end it, but it's so deserved. And it, what's even crazier is when you look at Sevilla's management change when they hired Jose Luis Mendilibar. When you look at his coaching resume over the last decade, he's only coached the bottom feeders of La Liga because that's the type of coach he is. His main priorities has always been save a team from relegation. And that's the, actually yeah. the same story for Sevilla this year. Yeah. Save us from relegation, which is crazy to say. And what's even crazier is that Mendy Libar ended up coaching in a European final and winning it. Mm -hmm. The only other title that he had had before this was, was winning the second division with Valladolid, getting promoted. Damn, man. I know. 
And yeah. you could see that passion on the sideline. Mourinho, but then you see Mendilibar, you could see he was like, dude, this is my moment. I'm like 65. Like, <laughs> I've been waiting for this for 40 years. And now I'm in a European final. I'm going to give him my fucking all. And dude, he really did because those second half changes that he ended up making, bringing on Suso and Eric Lamela, Suso specifically, genius. Bring on a ball-oriented player who can keep the ball moving and just keep going side to side and attack Roma, who were getting less and less of the ball at the time. Perfect. Because what happened 10 minutes later after the second half, Sevilla get the equalizer. But I thought at that point, dude, it was so deserved. Because after Roma had gone up 1-0, honestly, I thought it was all Sevilla for the rest of the game. And I thought they just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Lucas Ocampos, I thought, had a tremendous game out on that right wing. What I love about Ocampos, man, is his relentlessness. You know, he might not be the most efficient winger. He might not be the best as far as, like, conversions of, off of dribbles or crosses. But dude, he just never stops never stops penetrating or at least attempting to and i love players like that because that's a player that you want to root for a guy that you know will just give it his all i thought ocampos once again had a really good game out on that wing but again the inclusion of suso i thought was very very good and another thing ivan rakitic man Mm -hmm. good lord you know, initially, initially winning it with Sevilla like over a decade ago, and winning a couple with him, then obviously going to Barcelona, comes back to Sevilla. And, you know, what does he do? Well, he wins another one, man. <laughs> like, my goodness. What a story. What a legend. Ivan Rakitic. And I'm so happy for him, but just for the rest of Sevilla, because what a game it ended up being. Honestly, I thought they kind of deserved it to win it like in either regular time or in extra time. Roma were able to just kind of barely hold on, in my opinion. I think Roma did okay, but after the 40th minute, I don't think Roma really did much with the ball. I really don't think they did. I think my my takeaway is very similar too, but I, I think more big picture when it comes to this result. What a year for the people of Argentina. Argentina 2.0, basically, wins another European Cup, bro. When you look at every European team, what team has the most Argentinians on their squad? Sevilla probably has the most, man. Lifting the trophy with, once again, Montiel scoring the game-winning penalty, something that he has grown accustomed to, (laughs) something that is normal for him. He is born with ice in his veins, and he was able to put the game away to give Sevilla the victory. That was a major takeaway for me, once again, just on the effects of the world cup victory that argentinian folks are just having an insane year there's something in their blood right now something in their dna that's generating amazing things we see it once again fuck it even dibala scored even though he didn't that's win true. he still fucking scored bro <laughs> yeah what a goal this, this, though what a fucking what a goal. goal it was beautifully a beautiful taken. goal man beautifully taken but sevilla are crowned champions and now i'm left wondering if i see sevilla in that europa league table whether it's in the group stage or whether they get inserted there off of coming third place in the champions league if i see them involved in the europa league tournament Mm. i'm no longer questioning it yeah because this year taught me that a sevilla team that was battling relegation at one point could then go on to win it in what looked like overall a dominant fashion the way they went about their matches beating big team after big team i can't question it anymore i'm not allowed to I just can't. I have an obligation to back Sevilla in this tournament until I see them lose probably a couple times because yeah. the 
prestige, the know-how, the experience they have in this tournament, I don't even know if it... I mean, it's probably just comparable to Real Madrid, and that's it. Honestly. That's probably it, bro. And we saw what it took to get Real Madrid knocked out of the Champions League with one of the best Manchester City squads we've ever seen. That's what it's going to take to see Sevilla get knocked out of this tournament, especially in a final if that day ever comes to happen. Until then, Sevilla has my full trust in this tournament. I'm sorry that I picked against them in nearly every single matchup until the very final, and that came because of my disgust towards Italian teams, not because I trusted Sevilla. (laughs) So I am sorry to all Sevilla fans and all Sevilla folks out there. I truly was dissuaded by the season they were having in La Liga, and I was proven wrong gladly by their absolute prowess and showcase of ability in the final, defeating Roma to lift the trophy once again, bro. Congratulations, man. Just like you, man, I'm astounded. What what really astounds me is the consistency. I just don't get it. Like, once they get in these Europa League knockout stages, I guess they just like, all right, this is what we do. Like you said, just like Madrid. (laughs) Just like Madrid in the Champions League. Once they get it to a certain point, it's almost a given that they're going to get through. And it's crazy that Sevilla have the exact same legacy in the Europa League. It's just... It's uncomparable to anything else, essentially. It's just so honestly strange to me. Dude, I'm, I'm I don't so, get it. I, challenge the viewers. Go on FIFA and try to win five of ten Europa Leagues. <laughs> try it, bro. Try to win half of them and see what the fuck happens, bro. Yeah. You'll get lucky to get two, man. Right. It's crazy that what they've done, like you said, the consistency in real life and yeah. real life football is unfathomable. Yeah.